0: If you are watching this on YouTube or listening to this podcast, wherever you are today, please hit that subscribe button, that follow button, so that you can stay current on the material that we are providing. But not only that, you then help us to spread the word to more people. You are vital in this mission to reaching our world of people just like you who are living in this nightmare. Welcome to the Covert Narcissism Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Swanson. So Marie, can you give us a little bit of a, maybe a snapshot of your life that that is what caused your journey of exploring the, the term covert narcissism? Yes, I, my journey
1: started uh, before it was a thing. So um, I just wanted to share <laughs> briefly uh, a history. Uh, you know, I wanted to share that I grew up in a big Catholic family and uh, was very loved. And felt very secure and uh, I also was a shy child who um, found got lost in books and romanticism and dreams and uh, spent a lot of time, you know, in my imagination. Uh, And then uh, it was lucky enough to uh, get into a a well known uh, good university that was difficult to get into. and. I was really happy to do that, being like the first generation to go to university um, in my family. Um, my mom died when I was there, my junior year, from cancer, which you'll will show up later in the story. Um, and then, not too long after, my dad shortly started dating, and then not too long after, married um, another person. Um, so, I just felt like. Uh, I was on my own (laughs) from a very young age, um, and was very responsible. Um, and then, uh, I met my future husband, um, what I would say now on the rebound. I didn't think of it back then in the nineties, but, um, a person I was engaged to found someone else and, um, I met this person and, uh, of course he presented to be, um, I just was so happy. I, it was every He was everything I dreamed about. Um, it, he was also Catholic from a big family. Um, he uh, was curious because he grew up, he is from another culture. And so that was a curiosity to me. I was kind of fascinated by um, someone who grew up different with different traditions and different food. Um, I was really fell in love with that. Uh, those some of those, the positive parts about his culture and how close he was to his family and how they, um, you know, some of the traditional aspects of that, which I also loved. And um, so I was a little bit older when I got married at 27. He was 35, um, still living at home, (laughs) (laughs) which I made a lot of excuses for, but it kind of fit the culture and his culture. So, um, but one of the things I wanted to point out was um, he uh, probably the first before we even married, he he wanted to buy a home. And um, well, basically, he was kind of, um, he was talking to these people who owned a nice home in our town. And he negotiated with them. And then he put the uh, mortgage into my name only. Now, I signed it. And it was prior to we got married. But I think that's a key part. But I thought of it as like part of the commitment process. and mm-hmm. But I remember walking away from the bank and he said, oh, he can't sign, co-sign the huge loan way over my head <laughs> and my earning capacity. And he couldn't share it because his, he was in a family business and he didn't want to invoke his family into these financial obligations. And, um, I naively, uh, trusted, I was excited for our opportunity together and, um, signed that loan. Um, but felt inside right away before we even were married that a heavy burden, I'm just going to tell it was like a weight on my heart and it really went against me. It was very financially frugal and, um, very careful about you know my money I paid paid myself through school I already had student loans you know I had a car loan and now I had this mortgage of a home that we weren't even we weren't even married nor were we living together I was in an apartment and then on and then um we did get married um and I just wanted to point out that at the wedding we had a huge wedding lots of priests in attendance but at the wedding he um i'm just going to say it now in retrospect a little theatrical he was a little theatrical and when it was trying to put the ring on he bent his knees down as if he pretended he had a hard time putting the ring on and the whole congregation laughed mm-hmm. um, like it was like he was showed like some like maybe reluctance to get married, or maybe that I was all about me, like forcing it, or or it was he was doing me a favor. So even in that, um I remember just being like standing on the altar, just like it just was not funny. It was it was supposed to be a sacrament and it was supposed to be a bond, and he turned it into like a I was humiliated. It was a little bit of a joke. So um, we went on an amazing honeymoon, which I thought that um, I was real happy. You know, I, I see back now, so I'm happy to see the kids travel. Without the marriage, because back then I thought that that was my way to travel with a guy (laughs) or with anybody. So we went on this amazing um, European honeymoon, and I was still on cloud nine despite all those um, things because my dreams were coming true. I was married. I finally got to go on my international trip. Um, We we had a lovely time, and we started came home. Um, I was older. I wanted to start a family. He was more than happy to do so. Um, and get down to business <laughs> and we ended up having four kids um in six years uh, one wow. first marriage but then four children in uh six years, which I was happy because I was a little bit older and so was he um all my dreams were coming true and for the first I'll, I'll just say about 15 years of the marriage he was mostly gone now um meaning like out of our home not not he didn't travel for a living but he, um, left in the morning and didn't come back till it was time to go to sleep, you know, till like nine at night. And I would long for, um, can you just come home for dinner and can you just, um, you know, eat with us and have a fun conversation and enjoy the kids? And he just would never do that. He had all the freedom to do it, by the way. Was in his position, um, he became um, a very successful financial advisor um so he just chose not to and and that always um hurt like I always wanted to go on dates and I always always like I was kind of pursuing him and pursuing intimacy and he was always um, standoffish about that however um he financially supported and you know we went to church together and so we presented well um, and also I was just very busy <laughs> and, and very happy to be a mom. And despite this low li- level tension of me wanting to be closer, uh, it just was the years just slipped by very quickly. And what turned um, was in, in 2012, um, he uh, came home one day and was telling me about somebody who stopped by his office and I was unloading the dishwasher. and. I just made a sarcastic comment about um, this particular person and, and he called me a name. He called me an, uh, the the B word. I was shocked because I was just like, wasn't that bad. Like it was this conversation and he got to be the more um, through these years, he just, tur- he, something was happening. The dynamic was off. Our routine was off and he just got to be more contemptuous of me and more critical. And I couldn't quite put my finger on what was happening. Um, but then when he became that way, I started increasing my attempts to um, fix the marriage, you know, because our, you know, routine was off. And of course, I did all the normal things. Um, I started with one-on-one counseling, which he totally, the counselor totally took his side. And I started with, um, I did, um, called a marriage encounter. Um, and he would go through the motions and everyone thought, oh, you want to retreat, everything's going to be fine. If it's not working, it was still my fault. But he would never follow through when it came time, to, when, when it was time to come back and, you know, have the five minutes of journal writing or or talking time. So, um, so the more uh, he, he, uh. One thing he did do, and I'll talk about this, but I didn't know it then. He did agree to many things. And one of the things he agreed to um, was to get a psychological test. Because at the time, I thought it was anger management. I thought, maybe he's got an anger management problem. And there was all these books and stuff about that. So he agreed to take it. And we were called in. We were still a couple. It was early on. And he. I didn't realize that. That was like 400 questions. And he marked at that time there was it was high. uh, He was in the sixty seventh percentile of histronic behavior, and um, there was other markers. And those markers, um, uh, high individual, uh, low low empathy, uh, uh, high low anxiety, high on the independent scale or whatever. And what I at the end this this psychologist who did this test said these all point to this narcissistic personalities disorder but he called it NPD and I, I will tell you in 2012 I, it didn't even register for me it was just a test and it was um, it didn't mean too much except that it validated my um, own uh, perception of him that's what it kind of validated but he didn't he didn't change and he didn't any nothing happened but words the more I tried to get out and the more um he wasn't changing and then when he would go through the motions let's say for example I wanted him to read this card to me at night this was one of my tasks for him it was a lovely beautiful card that he gave me but I never felt any emotion from him so he would read it and he would do he did it he read the card but it just after a while I was like stop reading it it just felt so inauthentic like Mm-hmm. They were just words, and so I started realizing um, slowly, and then in combination with some of our arguments. You know, he told me to go on. Um, maybe I was depressed, and to go on meds, which and my family supported that. And so I tried that. I tried to go on um, antidepressants, and I went on three three months. I got from my OB doctor, <laughs> uh, ob got doctor, um, and. And then when I went to, I'm like, you know what? I don't feel any different. So in front of him, without thinking, I went to throw the bottle of medicine away into the garbage because I thought, I just said it out loud. I said, you know, what? these aren't really helping me. I'm just going to throw them away. I don't feel any different in three months. And he got mad when I went to throw them away. He's like, you can't do that. I'm like, well, they're not. I'm not. I don't feel any different. And he just got he's in the garden, like, he's like, no, he said, you need to stay on these. And I was like, why? So I was like, how do you know how I'm feeling? Like, how do you know what's going on? So there were little, very bizarre, uh, I thought, when I introduced medicine. So, um, and then like one time, um, he would just say, I wish you would just disappear. (laughs) That was kind of dark. And I thought, and I told him, I said, disappear. I said, this is my life, this is my home, my kids. You know, it's ours. Our home, our children. Mm-hmm. You know, our I. And I thought, where? Why is he saying that? And I just thought, I said, no, I'm not. Why would I just want to disappear from my life? I was actually, despite all those things, I was still very fulfilled with um, a part time job, with good girlfriends, and um, very very busy and involved kids. Um, so luckily um and i wanted to point that out like i luckily there was some balance um in the relationship as it you know in terms of my mental health mental balance um that i had some you know because i look back now i think you know it was my friends and my job and my routine and even my kids that kind of helped me not fall into that abyss of um not knowing who I was. But needless to me to say, when I I told him I was scheduling an appointment with an attorney to um take some next steps. And that was on a Monday and like about three or four days before my attorney visit. Um I was just got out of the shower and my brother pulled up with my sister-in-law and they came into my home and I was just out of the shower and I was just cleaning up and uh, they basically said they wanted to. They were doing an intervention, and at the time on TV, there was these things where you could do like it, like family interventions to someone who might be showing signs of, um, you know, maybe harming themselves or something. Or and anything. I was just, or but I don't know if you remember that little. And they were staging an intervention, so and I thought intervening on what? Like it was like so not even in my realm. That and then my sister-in-law took my purse, and literally I was kidnapped from my home. I didn't know what to do. I, I I didn't know if I should call the police or I didn't know how to get out of it. But I just went along with it. And my brother drove, and my ex sat in the drive in the passenger seat. I was put in the back seat of a car, and I was driven about an hour and a half away at about one o'clock in the morning to a home to a hospital that. Um, had a floor, a wing for psychiatric care. And I was taken into the ER and I told the doctor, I'm like, I don't know why I'm here. Like, I'm fine. This is a, I called it a kidnapping. Um, And I was in the hallway because the ER was very busy and the, the ER doctor sent me to uh, have an evaluation and the evaluator, I don't know who that was, a social worker said I had a flat affect. And that it might do me good to be, to come in for a couple of days. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm fl- flat. affect. I'm, I'm mad. Like, I'm very angry. Yeah, you're going to see that. But I don't know why, but I I was like, luckily when I left the house, I should back it up. I grabbed a book. So I was admitted or committed into this floor, um, which I learned was a, a depression floor, which um and the book that I had, but I just want to tell you, because this is the healing part. Um, the book that I had grabbed was um, called Unbroken by uh, Laura Hillenbrand. And it was about a POW. Um, it was a true story on a Olympic then POW uh, survivor. Wow! And so um, while I was in the hospital for those two days, and I met some, some wonderful people. And the psychiatrist said he was very good. He said, he said, we get... I told him the truth um, about my attorney visit coming up. And this was like his way of extreme control over. It. And he said, we get a couple of you per year. That's what he said wow. to me. And I, and I thought, what a shame, what a shame. He said, well, you don't, know, he said, you can just leave when you want and you don't have to participate in the group activities. And uh, I didn't even know about all this stuff. He And and I found out in retrospect during those couple days, he had, um, he had started to hide money in our accounts. It, so my attorney later called it black July. <laughs> so the turning the point appointment was just postponed. Um, and, I, and it was all strategy. However, my shame was off the charts and my humiliation, but as things went on, um, the word never entered my mind, but the behavior increased. So it, I moved out of the bedroom, um, because I didn't feel safe sleeping next to him at night after that. And, um, I moved into our basement, which sounds terrible, but it's a walkout basement, a 1970s walkout basement. So it's not like a, you know, dugout basement, Mm -hmm. but it was still, um, you know, my children were all upstairs. So I kind of separated. And then that's when weird behavior started. So he would like come downstairs. And, um, one night when I was sleeping in a Bed down there. He, um, I found him standing over my bed, um, looking at me like one o'clock in the morning. And and I just woke up naturally, probably by my instincts. And I said, What are you doing? I said, Get out of here. I'm trying to sleep. I have to go to work in the morning. And he was pretending he was like tired, like he was sleepwalking, like he would rub his eyes. And I was just like, Get, like he, I said, You scared me. I said, You scared me. Stop it so we are still living together but i would call it an in-house separation mm-hmm. so the next night i locked the door so the next night i was in this room there was a room i could lock um and you know and i locked this little hand door which you can open it up and he came down again another a few times later and he knocked on the door he, he said why did you lock the door yeah it's the middle of the night which of course the kids are sleeping I said, I'm sleeping. That's why I locked. I figured you might be coming down. He was very angry that I locked the door, which I now see was a, a boundary. Mm-hmm. And he considered, he said, this is his house and I don't have a right to do that. Um, another instance, I just want you, like one time I went in there and I saw the carbon monoxide um, uh, and smoke detector unit was gone out of that room. And this room happened to be right outside the furnace area because I was in the basement. And again, I came up and I said, Where would I take that? And he said, Well, maybe one of the kids took it. I said, They don't even know what it is. Like, mm-hmm. they don't even know anything about that. And so I went to Walmart and bought another one, right? You know, and I opened it. And I can tell when I was opening it and putting the batteries in, he was in the kitchen and he was getting very angry, like that I was, that I bought a new one. So I was only like 32. <laughs> so I'm like, What? A, I still was still processing like all of the, odd things and I just want it it escalated though and I just want to tell you one night was um I woke up with um the false ceiling um had gathered up well basically water had come on top of my bed the false ceiling was gathering water 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 and then all of a sudden it broke I screamed you know bloody murder in the basement and I was just like, and I was dumping out clothes bins, baby clothes bins, and putting bins underneath the water, uh, underneath the ceiling in the basement to collect the water. And uh, I was just screaming and frantic and, and sick and out of breath. And um, I ran upstairs. I'm like, what is going on up here? And uh, the house was completely quiet. Everyone was sleeping. And he had taken, and I ran into what would be above that room. And it was the laundry room. And he had taken the hose out of the, instead of putting it into the washing machine, he had stuck it into the, um, the like a cavity underneath the basement. And then he turned on the washer and went to sleep. Wow. He, he, ran, he came, met me in the laundry room, and he just said, I, I don't know why I did that. I must have been thinking. Well, it took a lot to get the hose out. It's clamped in. And I stared at him. And I looked at him. And I just had this thought that he's trying to kill me, like for the first time. I thought he is trying to kill me. He and he and he was trying to set it up where he was trying to frame me for his intention of trying to kill you, is what I think now. I was like Mm a day. And the disbelief, like I was on my knees and the he went to bed, he went to sleep. He went right, oh, it's just you know, nothing. And I was on my knees and it still makes me cry because I just could not wrap my mind around my husband and my, would do this to his kids or, or even comprehend that. Mm-hmm. So um, I knew, so um, up until then I was making notes and the notes had, were on the calendar and they were part of my um, keeping track for my own sanity.
0: <laughs> sure.
1: And so I just write on a big family calendar, you know soccer practice, um, you know, washing machine incident. (laughs) So, um, because it helped me because my life was so busy in KI. So like, and I will tell you that was a good thing Mm -hmm. and that helps me keep, I will tell you now that it couldn't have happened at a better time. And thank God I had these littles to, um, focus on and care for. And I was responsible and, um, So um, what ultimately happened is um, uh, I just, I prayed um, and uh, I didn't want to lose my kids. um, And he was out for everything. He was, he wanted it all. (laughs) And I didn't know if I should stay and sacrifice myself for the kids. But then, and I would ask questions at night. So I'm like, gosh, oh, should, I, should I file for a divorce or should I stay? And should I, you know, mm-hmm. and then here's what kind of miraculously happened. I would get the answer during the day. So like one of the, because I'm like, gosh, oh, I, oh, you know, it was all about the kids. So one time he was saying to the kids that my parents didn't love me. He's like, oh, what do you, and he was in front of the kids. He said, no one loves you. You don't, you have terrible relationships. My parents were both deceased. And I said, I said, his name i said it's not working for me anymore you can't it doesn't bother i know i was loved by my parents you can say anything that you want i'm 50 years old like knock it off but what happened is the kids in private later they're like you know mom did your parents love you did they what did they think and that that was one turning point where i was like oh my gosh I'm okay, but they're list. But the kids are listening and believing him. Mm-hmm. That narrative that he's drawing, and it's not the truth. And even though I can say to the kids, "It's not the truth," I, they did. His voice was louder in their heads than mine. And um, that incident, and then there was another incident where um, I was did the laundry. Every all the children were sleeping, and I was doing laundry, and I walked into my three boys' bedroom. They had three twin beds um, in the master bedroom, which we had given over. And I was carrying laundry to put away into the closet. And my ex was laying on the bed uh, with my 10 year old in a twin. And they were already sleeping before he came home. He, I, he may have even had still had his trench coat on, like his work dress coat. And I just, again, it was just like, it was quiet and I was like, I was like, do you ever have that scream that the the whisper scream? <laughs> I was like, get up, you know, because the kids were sleeping. I'm like, kid, mm-hmm. get, get out of here. Like, what are you doing in here? Like the kids are sleeping. Get out of this room. And again, he's like doing this sleep, fake sleep. He's like, Oh, I just was so tired. I just I was like I'm oh, like, go sleep anywhere else. You do not have to sleep in a twin bed with a 10-year-old, you know, son. I just found it, it just like cringy. Um, And I was, he got up and left and I was putting the clothes away in the closet. And it just, again, it was one of those on your knees moment where I was like,
0: yuck, (laughs) what was that? Why would he do that? You have been listening to the Covert Narcissism Podcast with your host, Renee Swanson. Be sure to check out our website at www.covertnarcissism.com. There you will find many resources just for you to help you on this journey. You can also reach out to me by email at renee, R-E-N-E-E, at cnglifecoaching.com. Those letters are C-N-G, as in Covert Narcissism Group. I do look forward to hearing from you. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing. The information provided by Renee Swanson and the Covert Narcissism Podcast is for educational purposes only and is not to be used for diagnosis purposes and not intended to be a substitute for clinical care. Please consult a healthcare provider for guidance specific to your case. This material discusses narcissism in general. It does not claim that any specific person has narcissism and should not be used to refer to any specific person as having narcissism. Permission is not granted to link to or repost this material to support an allegation or a claim that any specific person is a narcissist. That would be an unauthorized misuse of the material and information provided.